so much for that. If you ever want to read a chapter book where you wonder what's going on, it's right in front of you. (laughs) So friends, we come now to the second lesson, which is from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Hearing all that he was doing, they came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and the region around Tyre and Sidon. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crush him. For he had cured many, so that all who had diseases pressed upon him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and James, the brother of John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, and that is sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's always good to have those moments in our lives when we can bring to close a certain season of work. And that's part of what we're doing today at Northminster's. We're celebrating that one season of work has sort of come to a close. And for those who are involved in the public schools, that will also be happening. I'm sure that in other vocations, there's different ways that one can celebrate and note the completion of different projects of work. And perhaps as we do this work, as we do volunteer work, or as we do work within our own professional life, or as we do work outside of our professional life for those who are retired but still continue to serve in various ways, there's one question that we find ourselves continually faced with, and that is, does it matter? Am I making a difference? This is one of the questions that I work with a lot. I ask myself this question, but I also chat with other people who are asking this question of themselves. Is the work that I am doing making a difference? And sometimes we get to those points where we just think the answer is we don't know, or perhaps even we don't think that the work that we're doing is making a difference. And it can be very disempowering to get to that point where we wonder how it is that we're actually making a contribution. 
Well, friends, in our story today, I want to say that it rarely adds up the way that we want it to. And we see that happen in the text and with Jesus and his disciples. There's not a lot of difference between the reality that we see in our everyday lives and the way that things are coming together for Jesus and his disciples. Scripture can in some ways feel like a distant world, but when we take a few minutes to figure out what's going on, we recognize, oh my gosh, this is so similar to the world that we live in day in and day out. So let's kind of get our bearings on what's going on in the text today. People are beginning to hear about Jesus, and they're starting to follow him. They're seeing his work, and they're seeing what's coming out of his work. And the word is beginning to spread. And so in response, he knows that a lot of people are going to be coming around to hear his teaching. And so he heads in a different direction. He heads towards the sea. But it turns out that they want to follow him there. And so even in the sense that he's going a different way, maybe trying to take a break, he gets word that this group of people are coming along with him, and they're going to be following him. And so he sends word to his disciples that they need to get a boat. They need to find a way so that he will not be crushed by this crowd when it is that he offers his teaching. And in, in other words, the task that is at hand for Jesus seems in the beginning daunting at best. It doesn't seem easy. It doesn't seem straightforward. It doesn't seem like there's a clear way through. It's a large task. And in fact, the writer tells us two times that Jesus is worried that he's going to be crushed or pressed in upon by this particular group of people. And so we're getting, the, we're getting the picture that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, one of the things that we need to rest assured about is that this is not a well-organized volunteer event, right? This is not like Day of Caring for King County, which will be happening later in September, by the way. But this is not like that. This is very different. It's a little wild. It's a little out of control. Nobody's quite sure who's in charge. They need to make sort of in-the-pocket decisions, last-minute decisions about what to do and get a boat for Jesus so that he's away from the crowd enough so that he can still teach without getting crushed. So I want us to sort of notice that there's a wildness and sort of a disorder to what's happening at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? And the second thing that happens in this text is that after this wild time where he needs this boat in order to get away from this group of people that's pressing in upon him, he goes to a mountain. Now keep keep in mind he was just at the sea. Now he's going to go to a mountain. So he's covering a huge amount of territory. He's really trying to get away, to get perspective, to figure out what it is that he needs to do. He heads in a different direction. And as he goes up the mountain, he does something very interesting. He calls people to himself to come with him. And the text actually tells us this little phrase. It says, those whom he wanted. The text is actually a little bit stronger than that. It says, those whom he desired. 
He called unto himself to follow him up the mountain. So the question that we're faced with at this moment in the text is, is Jesus just running away to get with his group of people to take a break? Is he withdrawing or is he entering in in a different way? Is he withdrawing or is he entering in in a different way? If we look closely at the group of people that Jesus has called and has desired for himself, if we look closely at that group of people, what we will discover is that this is the least likely brunch group that will come to be. Okay? This is not a group of like-minded people. They do not share a Facebook page, I promise you. Okay? There is nothing in common with this group of people. A few of them might share Fishermen of Galilee. They, they, a few of them might like that page, but I promise you that the rest of them won't. Okay? This is a radically diverse group of people. And so he's not gathering this like-minded group together when he heads up the mountain. In fact, he's gathering a group that has strong diversity. It has a tax collector. Matthew. He has, as a part of his group, in addition to the tax collector, two people who are pretty radically minded about how politics should work within Israel. He has Judas and he has Simon the Canaanite. The Canaanite. Trivia point here. The Canaanite, that's actually a first century term for the word zealot. So if you were to describe somebody as a Canaanite in, a set in, in the first century, what you were really doing was describing them as a zealot. So we get that there's two folks who have a very strong political mind, one who's a tax collector. Think here, we've got city council people and we've got CEO of Amazon, okay? These are the folks that Jesus is calling together up the mountain with him, all right? Not only that, we have two brothers, two sets of brothers. We've got the ones that Jesus names Son of Thunder, and we also have Peter, who he names Rocky or Rock. So we've got these small business fishermen. Keep in mind, Peter was a small business fisherman, okay? He didn't come from a large group. But the brothers, James and John, they left their father, if you think back, to keep the fishing business alive. So they're a bigger group of fishermen. So you've got small business, big business, right, as a part of this group that Jesus is calling together. So small fishermen, big fishermen, radical patriots, sellouts to Rome. And then he calls, in addition to that, shady friends. Okay, maybe you don't have shady friends. Maybe you've got some tucked away in your neighborhood that you're not quite ready to get to know and to be friends with, but Jesus also calls those folks. Okay, people like Judas, who just might kind of sell you out at the end of the day. Maybe they struggle with things so deeply within themselves that, that they're not quite sure the decisions to make when the time comes. These are the people that Jesus called and desired for himself when he went up 
the mountain. And these are the people that went, that heeded his call, and that followed. And in fact, what we learn throughout the rest of the gospel and as we get into the beginning of Acts is that it's this little eclectic group that is going to turn out to be the seed of the future church. They're going to hang together in Jerusalem. They're going to become so close that aside from Judas, who struggles with being able to put all the pieces together, that when Jesus dies, they are going to be stuck together in a room for 40 days, and they don't even complain about it. Okay, That's how good of friends they are going to become over the next three years. This radical diversity that Jesus is calling together around himself. Friends, perfection is not a word for the church. It's not a word that we need. It's not a word that we get to own. Biblically speaking, in fact, perfection is not a word that exists on this side of time. Perfection is something that only exists through the lens of the perspective of God. And the word that's translated perfect later in the letters of Paul is actually a process word. It's a word about arriving at the end of a long process. Telios. That's what that word perfection means. Not sort of cleaning up the immediate actions to make it as if there's nothing wrong, but going through the full process. And so perfection is never something that has been designed to exist on this side of history. You should know that, right? Those of you that have been in committee meetings, you know that. Okay, there's a lot of imperfect that happens in committees. There's a lot of imperfect that happens in group of people that come together. As a matter of fact, in this book on conflicts transformation, that the Mennonite church has put together these little books that are very helpful for folks who are doing community building within their world. And one of the books is called The Little Book of Conflict Transformation. And one of the things that this book identifies immediately at the beginning of any sort of process is that the only way that we will see conflict as a point which can be transformative within our lives is to normalize it, to expect it, to know that in fact it is part of the journey. That imperfection is the norm. Not only is it the norm, but it is the only thing that we have. And that when Jesus calls together this group of people, he is calling together an imperfect group. He places them in imperfect relationships. And that is the way that he calls us and them to move forward in the outworking of the gospel. Now, I just want to make a quick clarification. He calls us to imperfection, not to dysfunction. To imperfection, not to dysfunction. You see, it's easy for us to get those two items confused. But imperfection is a process in which we are moving forward towards transformation. Dysfunction is a cycle in which we are stuck and we cannot get out. That is not our calling. 
but we are imperfect in the process of being transformed. There's a difference. I want to close with this question. When Jesus had this moment with the boat, and he had all these folks come around him to listen to his teaching, he had a choice. He could have created a system which would have perfected the boat gathering. Right? He could have said, all right, everybody, this boat gathering did not work. We are going to create name tags. We're going to line everybody up. We're going to get people. We're going to create a sign-up genius so that we know where everybody is going to sit and be organized. No, there's nothing wrong with community structure. But when Jesus has his mind set on transformation, he moves in a different direction. He leads by calling people into the most diverse relationships that they could possibly think of. And that is instead how he is going to invest his energy and begin the work of the gospel. <clears throat> by calling together 12 people who do not share like-mindedness, who do not have the same history, who do not even share the same narrative of what they expect to be real and true. And he is going to work with that group. And through his work with that group, they are all going to be transformed. And at the end of the day, what was more effective? Making a better boat gathering or investing in a group of 12 people and teaching people how to have real, diverse, deep relationship? That's the question. And that's the question for us, the church. A lot of times, and I put myself, I'm right in the middle of this. I get done with a volunteer project, and I think, good grief, did that even matter? And I think, I need to change my question. Did I make a friend? Did I become a friend? Do I have a relationship now that I would not have had if I did not enter into this process? And if the answer is yes, then you are on the right track. Because that is where Jesus is calling us to. Not to perfect events, not to make better gatherings, but to increase our capacity for relationship, not dysfunction. There's a difference. If we put nearly, and by we, I don't mean here Northminster, but I mean the larger we, the civil community of Seattle, Washington, if we put half as much energy into investing in how we, how we approach our relationships compared to what we expect the outcome to be, we would be living in a radically different city. But that is our opportunity as the church. That is our invitation. So what is our desire? How can we become a friend? How can we increase our capacity for relationship and see that as the most changing force that can happen? Let's pray.
Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this text and for the fact that in the face of all of these needs and desires that you chose to invest in 12 people, 12 people who did not see eye to eye, but 12 people who at the end of three years would not be able to leave each other's sides. We ask that you would build that same capacity within us by the power of your spirit, your teaching, and by our own willingness to open and be vulnerable and to listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Amen.